Have you had agua chile? I don't think so, no. What is that? Um, how can I describe it? I had agua chile de camarón. It is sort of ceviche. Non-cooked shrimp in a sauce. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. Okay, there's tacos. Tacos de El Peladito. That's where we are. I'm loving the baseball theme to the place. Right. It's like they're... They sort of have a Florida Marlins feel to their uniforms, but... That's what it is. They is have Peladito a Marlin? No. No, I don't think so. We'll have to check what Peladito is or Pelado. I, I think the baseball theme is sort of separate. They're going for a kind of mixed Jimmy Buffett Florida, yeah, but not, but in a baseball clean family kind of way. It's a very interesting cultural mix. Very interesting place you've picked here. We're officially on the other side of Viaducto. Viaducto Presidente Algo Aleman. The last name was Aleman, and now the music gets loud, but I see that it's gonna be fine. We live on the other side of this highway. You this call this buried river that is also a freeway. <laughs> that is true. It's a buried river. It's a buried river and it's a freeway. Both. And now it's a park as well. I went jogging there today. So I went walk, uh, jogging above the buried river and in between the freeway. And then today is Sunday and... This is not traffic, this is nothing. But during the week or at rush hour, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's I a mean, parking lot. Yeah, it is, it is. Okay, I think I'm gonna order the, the first one, La Bastida. Sounds like tacos with camaron. Which, I think course, that's per taco. Yeah. But we'll have an entrada and two of those and then I'm full. Yeah, I'm gonna go for the ceviche Wayano. After the entrada? Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. We've talked about ceviche already on our guests. Apparently the, the food the food topics uh, are very popular. At least that's what we got the most comments from. Uh, I about. really, we have comments. I didn't. No, 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 no. We don't have comments, but there was feedback on Mastodon about how we talked about food and everybody just wanted to have to eat stuff, and they, they liked it. Apparently. Did you get more feedback on the? Oh, I, I know you got some feedback because we already tried to record this episode once before. 
on the Congress, you got you did talk to some people who talked to you about the podcast. Did we get feedback? They liked it. That's, that's good. basically that's, the, good. that's the feedback I got was oh I really enjoyed your podcast. What did you enjoy about it? It's a really I enjoyed listening to it. <laughs> What did you enjoy about listening to it? It was pleasant to my ear. I mean I'm being ridiculous <laughs> at this point, but but I I didn't it was a split between not having the opportunity to go more in depth. Just shock that people were listening to the podcast. Yeah. And a mild preoccupation of what people heard in episode four and what they assumed from it. Those are, that's the, what sauce is that? It looks like a lemon sauce. Sweet. Oh, I'm gonna try it then. Is it like a honey mustard? You tell me. Oh, it's actually called Mariscos Beer and Baseball. So Mariscos, that's seafood. Yes. Beer and Baseball. Why haven't I been here before? I've been living 300 meters Are you here. Are you a big baseball fan? I am. I did not know this. Have you ever gone to a Diablos game? I haven't, and I'm, I'm so mad at myself that I haven't done that yet. Diablos, that's, that's one of the... That's the Mexico City local team. I haven't been to a, actually I have been to a baseball some baseball games mm -hmm. in Mexico. Yeah. That was when I visited my friend Efren. Hello Efren. Um, in Guadalajara and he he manages a, a youth team basically or a young guys team. And I went to those games which was fun because afterwards there's always food. Yes. Well, and after anything in Mexico City. After goes. anything, yeah. No, that was in Guadalajara. Actually, oh, so. yeah. No, I haven't been. I have to go this spring if I'm still here. Then I, I'm. I don't. I don't know why. Well, yeah, you don't. No, I don't. What? I, 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 I am a baseball fan. I, since, I lived in. Yeah. Oh, but we have order here. Okay. Did we order yet, officially? No. After the, the entrada. Oh, okay, all right. Gracias. Um, so I lived in the United States for one year. I think I've mentioned this before. In Rhode Island, in North Kingstown, Rhode Island. Uh, that was like 11th grade in Germany, and I was a honorary, honorary uh, high school senior there at the local high school. Honorary as... They'd, didn't really take me serious but um, I got I actually got no, no okay the I did take part in the uh, uh, celebration of you know handing out the high school diplomas right. and I did get an honorary high school diploma which probably is worth nothing but it was very nice to be to be part of that senior class and I was there from 98 to 99 and that era you're either a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan in Rhode Island that's still the case that is still the case yeah yeah I guess Connecticut is more Yankees and Massachusetts definitely is more Boston exactly and being on Rhode Island you're split and Rhode Island is, is split and Rhode Island and Providence plantations between the Commonwealth of Massachusetts 
and Connecticut, which is just the state of Connecticut. But if you but if you run into people from Rhode Island, the smallest state. Yes. There are many large counties you could fit the state of Rhode. Well, it's not a state. <laughs> the state of Rhode Island and Providence plantations <laughs> is the official name of the state. But I, li I lived there and it was 1998, that was the year that, well, this will only Americans and baseball fans will, will remember, uh, the year that Mark McGuire uh, broke the home run record, hitting how many, 62, 63 home runs? No, it was more than that. Was it? See, Maybe I don't not. Even, now, now I have to look this up. See, we have to look it up. I don't even know. I'm not good with numbers, apparently. And well, everybody around me was was a Red Sox fan, and that was it was the first year that I I watched a lot of baseball, and I went to my first baseball game. We went to Pawtucket to see the Pawtucket Red Sox, and I, I sat in the stands, and my host dad he explained the rules of baseball to me, sitting in the stadium, McCoy Stadium, and I realized that is the only way you ever have the chance to understand the game of baseball going to a game, sitting in the stands, and getting expl uh, the rules explained to you while you're there, and getting explained to you what's ha actually happening on the field. Because I, I had watched baseball on Eurosports before in Germany, but it didn't make any sense, and that's what I get from everybody in Germany, all of my friends who don't know baseball. You think baseball they don't makes understand. no sense? Try cricket sometime. Yeah, yeah, I haven't tried yet. We'll see. I became a Red Sox fan, which then was rather unfortunate because, you know, everybody said, don't become a, a Red Sox fan because you will regret it. You're going to regret it. And for quite some years I did. But I mean, you can't, what can you do? Then a few years later, only six years later, uh, everything uh, was good again. And I, that was actually, it was the first, 2004, was the, I was in Trondheim, Norway that, and it was the first time that I um, subscribed to MLB TV, and I basically s watched every Red Sox game in September and October, which is hard to do because the Norway winter started, and the games started either at uh, 1 o'clock or at 4 o'clock at night. But somehow I, I did watch all of them. Actually, during game four and five, which were more or less the most exciting games of the series, you, you might I want fell to asleep. You might was, want, you I'm, I'm, I'm not going to explain what happened in 2004. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. It was fun. It was fun. So yeah. So now I see I have a fresh restaurant with a baseball theme right next to my my apartment. And I'm here for well, the first time. It is across a very large freeway. And Buried River. And Park. I guess it's not that large of a freeway in terms of, I think it's only two lanes in both directions. But It's three. Whoa. Three. Whoa. All right. Wow. Yes, yes. You're going to want to describe this. Oh, yeah. We got our appetizer. Okay, question to the listeners. Do we need an Instagram account to, to Instagram all the food that we're having? Is it good enough to Instagram? You, it's pretty good. It's I, good? This okay, is Instagrammable. Okay. okay, this is a 
much larger bowl than I expected with sauce, stone bowl. You could make guacamole in this. I'm glad I didn't order an entree. <laughs> and it's got uh, shrimp and scampi in it, on it. Yeah, you take a picture and we'll create the Instagram account. Or you Instagram it right now. So let's see. And it's cold. Cold it is. Do you want I'm the just microphone? wondering, how do I get the microphone in on it? You could always have put the microphone in the, you know, in the bowl. Or just tilt it slightly so that it appears in the background. We're taking this picture for you live. I know, a little closer to the bowl. Okay. This, I think, is the biggest shrimp I've ever seen. Which I still don't know how to, to eat this stuff. Now I'm starting to freak out about the potential sound quality because that speaker got much louder since we picked the table. We can't go anywhere. We can't We can't eat out and record a nice podcast in Mexico City. This is just not a thing. We should have thought about this. It's okay. This might turn out this might turn into several ways to order takeout in Mexico City. That was one of the possible plans to get you to eat Mexican sushi. Oh, so it was conscious you were Okay, now they're, this is ridiculous. Not only did the music get louder, but the people at the table behind us are now singing along with the speaker. We, we have no luck. This is just, we're not. I say, let, I say let it rip. Just let it go. Let's see what happens. Let's roll with it. What is this? This is just... Looks like a piece of random fish. I am going to eat that. I'm gonna eat that too. So you were gonna complain about Mexican winter. Correct. And I want to somebody who was just in Michigan and in Germany. Well the plan in December. Where it was minus twenty. But but do continue. Tell me how bad Mexican winter is. Do you remember Mexico City in the few weeks, two or three weeks before you left? You mean where it got down to the shatteringly cold temperature of <laughs> five degrees Celsius? And I think it was lower than night. that. Yes, I remember that. Okay. That I'm was not, a heat wave. No, but go on. To, I'm, give, I'm, to give this episode a little bit of a Mexican angle, but, but we've talked about food already. Um, are you eating from my side? I mean, we have this big bowl right, and you're eating okay. from my side. That's not cool. We are having basically raw fish. Now, it's, it's not raw fish. It's, it's marinated. Merci, por favor. Here, I will, I will tilt the bowl. It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I will rotate the bowl. So now you have a whole complete side. And I get to pick it what's in the bowl. It's a cucumber. This is the weirdest ceviche dish I've ever seen. <laughs> you took the photo. We're gonna I, put did that. The, I did take the photo. The photo's on Instagram. It's already there. We have to put it in the, in the show notes. Yeah. It's a standard volcanic rock guacamole bowl yes. but with ceviche in it and a rim lined with 
shrimp. I mean, it, I don't even know if I can call these things shrimp. They're very, very big. Of oh, these, yeah. Shrimp, yeah. When planning this episode a few weeks ago, I wanted to complain about the Mexican winter. Because in December, it was actually really, really cold. Now, it wasn't freezing. Because it's never freezes up here. Uh, up here, I say. I mean, we're, we are located on 2,200 meters. What's that in feet? That's a lot of feet. It's a lot of feet. And... But never freezes be, because. But the problem of Mexico City, and I don't know, have, have I complained about that already? No, I don't think so. I, I, I should add in a meta respect that complaining is probably the predominantly Mexican way to live, especially in Mexico City. Is it? Compare that to German. I think Germans see complaining as weakness. The Germans are not complaining so much as proposing a problem that requires solving and then discussing the various different ways that this problem could be solved. It's not... It, 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 even conversing with Germans, complaining is, is about... is with a purpose. You're, you're trying to arrive at a better world with complaining, whereas in Mexico City, people are just, ah, there's no hope, we're effed. What can we do about this? There, there's a saying in, in Mexico that you can take the salt out of the sea or the corruption out of Mexico. Which one is easier? And that's, that's to, to represent the kind of hopelessness that is a part of well, everyday Mexican yeah. conversation. Yeah. Okay, then let me uh, state a problem and propose a solution. Right. The problem is there's no heating. No apartment, not even the houses of the rich people, and I've been there, have heating. At least the rich people, they can afford to waste electric energy with their electric heaters in the winter. But don't heat their whole building because the insulation is so uh, bad. And only heat some rooms. But we, our current apartment, it's fine. It's fine. Because when the sun comes, then we actually get some heat from the sun. But for a few weeks in December, I was cold all day. Up to the point that when finally I got the idea, I, I realized what I could do. I went to Starbucks early at 7 o'clock in the morning because they not only have the only coffee that's available before 9 o'clock, but also they have heating. It's and heated. most most modern commercial buildings do have heating in Mexico City. Commercial buildings, but no private housing. Skyscrapers do. But yeah, I mean, these are these are don't, educational don't, exceptions. Don't. Okay, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah. You're right. Don't ruin my argument. All the while, if you go outside during the afternoon and walk in the sun, because there's always sun every day, you're a hot. You, you can go outside and wear a t-shirt. That while and the, now that that was my problem. I, I tried to do work, and um, I was cold all day until. I, Catherine came home, and I went outside to and then go for a walk uh, in the sun. And that was hot. 
Fortunately, that only lasted for a few weeks, three or four. It was okay again. You, you should clarify for the yeah. for the German audience especially that Mexican buildings are made of stone. Billing this as an appetizer was faulty advertising. I'm not sure we're going to finish it. And we both had the intention of ordering an entree. And there's a pool of other stuff inside there. So, Mexican buildings are made of stone, very similar to how buildings in Germany are made. The critical difference is that it never gets that cold here, and it never really gets that warm. Heat is much more of an issue normally in Mexico City than the cold. The buildings are not very well insulated. A lot of buildings will have large interior spaces that are mostly exposed to the outside. There's no reason to really insulate the buildings, but but like I said, they're made of very thick stone, which does not heat up very quickly. And given that most building facades are not directly exposed to the sun, they stay cold all the time, which is a benefit when it's really hot out in the summer. Or, I mean, when it's really hot out, it's really hot in the summer, relatively, but most of the year, it's warmer than not. Most of the year, you'd prefer to go inside and be a little bit colder than, than warm. So, of course, in the months when it's very cold, this feature becomes a bit of a bug. Yeah, that's it. And if you're working at home instead of an office that's heated, that can become a problem. But, but most people are used to it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I prefer not having... I, artificial heat right now, for me, is a problem. Just like artificial air conditioning or huge, oppressive air conditioning as you find in the United States, but German people. It's a very similar phenomenon for me. I never really liked intense air conditioning. I don't like drastic changes in temperature going from outdoors to indoors. Which is my biggest complaint about winter not in Mexico. But I, I understand what you mean. There are my ex's, my ex's mom's house. I think was a very, had a very similar quality to her house of it being really cold and difficult to warm up. The apartment that I live in, one whole wall is glass, and that faces the sun. Sure, it, it, as soon as the sun peaks above the building across the street, give my apartment five minutes, and it's comfortably warm, to the point where... You're, you're uh, south-facing, right? Yes. We are west-facing, which right, usually so. is awesome, but just in December, and right now a little bit, it's a problem. Well, also, also, I think the uh, your apartment is much deeper, whereas the sun reaches every corner of my my apartment. Yeah. I don't think it goes all the way to the back of yours. So, leaving the Mexico City winter, and we're talking uh, specifically about Mexico City winter, because in other parts of the country is it's different. In other, we'll also remember because we're two thousand meters up, the air is much thinner. Yes. So the air is much thinner, 
and there's much less humidity. Oh yeah, and we're recording uh, on January 7th. It's, what time is it? Seven o'clock at night, and we're sitting outside in t-shirts. And it's fine. So how did you experience the German winter? Because he did go to Germany. Leipzig was not as bad as Berlin. I'm still trying to decide if Hamburg was worse. The, the thing about Leipzig is you had to spend much more time outdoors, unless you were taking taxi cabs to and from, which would get very expensive very quickly if you're doing it regularly. And it was, it was pleasant, more pleasant than it could have been. Now, granted, Leipzig was not nearly as bad as Michigan, which was cold and snowy and humid and cold and snowy and humid, where a good day would be minus 10 and a bad day, of course, got minus 20 with something like a minus 40 wind chill. Celsius? Yes. I'm full. You're done? Yeah. I think I'm there too. This was a lot. It doesn't even look like a lot of food in the picture, no. but this is a substantial amount. The other thing about Leipzig was during setup, it was cold indoors. And while there are some really beautiful pictures of the sun coming up in the Messe Leipzig, the central glass hall, didn't really see much of the sun at all. But it wasn't rainy, it wasn't snowy, it was a little bit rainy at some points. But again, you still had something like a 500 meter walk every day from the tram to the entry point. Or if you were staying in the hotels nearby, you, you had a, a kilometer walk to get into the Mesolaise. A little bit spicy, huh? <laughs> It is. And I don't even think this was billed as spicy. But it was quite good. I loved what they did with the cucumbers. But yeah, I'm still defrosting. I'm glad to be back. In the upcoming redo of the Why Mexico City Rocks draft, I will again pick the weather. Let's keep that as a teaser. Okay, there you go. So, or a teaser, or you're just claiming it. Yeah, I, you're just you're just holding on to it. Was there? You're telegraphing your draft pick. <laughs> was there any draft pick that I took that you wanted to take? I don't think so. There was one in one episode, and I was yeah, very yeah, vocal yeah, about that it. That episode is published already. That was the Quintanilla. Yeah. Indeed. Oof. Well, let's just wait for Catherine's food. What else did you have in the document to complain about? No, no, I, I had one more story about how we got, how we get to the beach nowadays. That's a good one. You should tell that one. Yeah. I love the second line. The hotel room I'm staying in, the plane I'm flying in, the Michigan winter I'm living in. Which I just added all <laughs> You just added my litany of complaints. You, you, you really need to add that as like intros or outros. Just that's the intro outro episode. I'll check what I can do here. By the way, speaking of which, never, ever, 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 ever stay at the Trip Hotel 
in Dusseldorf. Unless you happen to have some business in that town where it is. And even then, hope that basic things that you expect to work in a hotel room work. Because you'll hear all about the fails in the special intro-outro episode. That would have been a whole episode. That would have been a whole episode were it not for the 100 megabyte cap on the Wi-Fi, which is not renewable. Ridiculous. Yeah, and not renewable. Or what? Who does that? It's I. I want to say something like the early 2000s called and wants their cheapskateness back. Oh no. I just discovered the wallpaper. Do you see? I, I, I saw that ahead of time. The Yankee Stadium. You didn't mention it. I. You were getting into how you're a Red Sox fan, so I'm not gonna. So one of the walls of the restaurant is covered by a large photograph of Yankee Stadium. Is it the old one at least? I, th I think that's the. I think that's the old one. Yeah, it must be. Never visited the old one. I went to f one game in the new one, and I, d I didn't even like the stadium. A week later, we went to uh, City Field to the the Met Stadium, and that's a really nice place. Maybe it was because of the free beer, but the free beer? Yeah, we had free beer. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, I've never know. heard of free beer at a no, baseball no, game. No, no, no. We well, I didn't pay for it. Ah, okay, that's different. The company of our friend who okay, that's got cool. us company tickets right. were you in a skybox no we were in the party zone or something party uh, right in, in the outfield right at the field at, right at the wall okay. and there was uh, uh, we, we had a separated uh, separated area and an uh, extra beer place so we could get beer uh, all the time but every time we went we had to show our ID. I mean, that's an American thing, I guess. I mean, because last time I showed it, and this time it's new. Anyways, so we didn't pay for the ticket, and there was free beer included in that zone of the stadium. But all in all, the stadium, I liked it much better than Yankee Stadium. Yankee, the new Yankee Stadium, that's industrial. That's industrial. That's It's, it's a factory. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's got no... I, I didn't get any feeling of this is something fun something that that contains history and culture it was yeah very industrial it is the new yankee stadium yeah <laughs> city field is i think it's not even older than the new yankee stadium i'm not sure i that's, it's not that's actually a good question i even i think it's younger but even if it's not it's not much older it's, it's very new it's very new but the story that I wanted to tell, the last one that I'm going to tell here in the restaurant, having uh, mariachi playing live music actually inside. One thing about Mexico I love, I, it's, it's so awesome to have live music and good live music, not, not the street musicians that we've heard already. Yeah, we've had really bad luck proving there's good music in Mexico City. But there is, and there's actually people playing live music in restaurants all the time. And I like More it. More often than not, I think. Yeah. So in December, it was really cold, and, and we had decided, okay, we would stay most of the, the winter vacation 
that uh, Catherine School provided. Uh, we're gonna stay here, but before everything got really expensive uh, at the beach, we would go to our favorite beach, which is in Masunte, Oaxaca, and it was awesome. It, on the way there or there, I, I realized that we've grown up. Yeah? We've been here now. It was my sixth or seventh time that I went to that beach, and the way we got from the airport to the beach and to our cabana changed over the years. Yeah? When we first time we went, it was uh, three months after we got, or actually two, yeah, about three months after we got to Mexico. We, yeah, we had learned some Spanish and we had learned some customs of, of the land, but really still were rather unsure, guys, about many things. And so to make things easy, we took the airport taxi. And how much was that? The airport taxi was 900 pesos. 900 pesos uh, three years ago, that was certainly around 45 euros for a 45-minute drive, which I guess Germans doesn't sound a lot, but it is a lot. As a comparison, I mean, when we go from our apartment to the airport, uh, taking a cab or Uber, whatever, it's six euros max. Going from the airport to our place, 12 years. So, and this is a 10 or 12 kilometer drive from the Mexico City airport. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. That's yeah. That's very cheap by yeah. less than yeah. That, yeah. Like 50 euro cents per kilometer is basically unheard of yeah. in Europe. So. so that was the first time on the way back from the beach. Uh, I think we took it cab from the town of Masunte and then paid only 400 pesos so that was about half of it. Now how did you get from the airport? So next time we went um, we knew better. Yeah, We had talked to colleagues and also we had seen what's, what is outside the airport. Now the airport of Huatulco, Huatulco, Oaxaca, it's an international airport. There's direct flights from Canada for example. It is an assembly of, of huts, yeah, uh, huts uh, uh, topped with palm tree leaves. Inside there is air conditioned, so it's very nice, but it it doesn't look anything like an airport that you would imagine. Unfortunately, um, I, you can't take pictures from the airfield because you can't. Um, I'll see if I can dig out some. They're strongly discouraged. Yes, strongly. But I think the enforcement is about as about as intense as the nah, photo enforcement nah, of the Congress. No, 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 no. Oh, they, they, oh, they, 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 they are more intense there. Definitely. Oh, okay. Definitely. Right. I'm just talking about the Puerto Escondido airport, which is. He's going to bring the. Yeah. But in Uatulco, you can just walk out of the airport area. You get to the main road. It's, it's the main road that goes along the Pacific coast, uh, all through Oaxaca and Guerrero. And outside, there's local taxis waiting. So next time we went, we knew there are. It's 
the walk is not far. There are taxis waiting outside uh, that take you to the town of Masuda for 400 pesos, or for 50 back then. Uh, friend told us 350, but of course, nowadays it's 500 actually. But gas gets uh, more expensive, and it's okay. So the next few times we took the, the cab outside, the local cab, 400 pesos. That's fine actually, for an hour drive, 45 minute drive. But of course, we grew up, I learned more, I, I got more used to the, the local transport system. And uh, we already talked about the colectivos, the peseros. So there's always, everywhere, on every road, you can go. There are uh, small buses that you just have to stop. And then you go in and you, they take you as far as you, you want. You have to run, you have to run after them, grab onto the rail, <laughs> hop in the back, hop through space. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I ha there was a point in my life in Mexico City where I had to do that. Where there, I, it was where the rest of the family argued about who was getting which car, who would have to take an Uber, and I never mentioned how I had to get on the pesero. How I had to wait for four pesero. No, I would have to wait for three or four peseros just to find one that was so full it couldn't speed over the speed bump. So that I could <laughs> run after it, okay. jump on the back, and hold on for dear life for about three kilometers until it got to Periferico, where it let okay. off some people, and I could actually go inside the vehicle. I, I do believe that story. So on that on that particular road, there there are there's one um, local service that goes from Uatulco from the from the town. Uh, to Pachutla, which is the next uh, big town, uh, back and forth, and you can get that everywhere. If you're if you're lucky or if you're not lucky, whatever. There's also larger buses, so the the overland buses. You could get those and something in between as well. So you'll always find a ride to uh, up that road, and so eventually we started taking those um, buses. And including the, the uh, Colectivo going from Pachutla, you have to look on the map, um, to Masunte, which is, I would, I, it's not a pickup truck, it's more like a pickup vehicle. And I like to stand and stand in the wind to actually see out, out the front. And there's a, 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 there's a bell. Oh, in the okay, back, yeah. there is a bell, like a, like a switch that rings a bell in the in the driver's seat, and um, it's fun. It's, for, it's for different for American listeners. These are they're more like airport shuttles. They're not pickup trucks, but but because they have a door, I, they have a door. They're a, they're a pickup truck frame generally, but then they put a box on top yes, of that, yeah. so it's covered. It's, it's not like you're sitting on the top. Yeah, yes. on the top. You're not. Yes. It's not like a, I think when you said pickup truck, I was not imagining a pesero. But there's a door in front, and there's a door in back. They both open and close usually, and there's benches along the sides. I yeah, I think we're talking about something else. That's what it is in the city. In Masunte and many other places, it's open. Are you talking about? Oh, it's yeah. What's open? The front and the back. Of the the structure that's on yeah. top of that vehicle. Oh, 
Oh, you're talking about something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. Then you're gonna have to post pictures in the show yeah, notes because yeah, yeah. I don't know I can, what you're talking I can't about. Yeah, I can describe. You can you can put pigs on that vehicle. So. Well, but but that it's fun and and that ride from from the town to the to the other to Masunte it's maybe a 30 minute ride. You can uh, flag one down at the airport. No, no, no. Okay, oh, you have okay. to take two. You have to you take one of the. Uh, the buses that you just described to uh, the town of Pachutla, that's oh, more than halfway to third way. Yeah. And from there you take the even lower class uh, uh, Peseros, uh, Collectivos, um, which is fun. And it's, I've done this now multiple times and it felt like going, almost like going home, but to go to a place that I know really well, which is fun. It was really good. So all in all, uh, the two of us paid a total of 70 pesos to get from the airport to our cabana, which is not even a tenth of what I don't know what the uh, taxi, uh, the airport taxi costs now. Probably a thousand pesos. So that is really cheap. So it's it's not it's maybe three euros to get from the airport to yeah, take a one-hour ride to the beach. That's awesome. But we had to learn how to do that. Uh, we did learn, and now I feel much more comfortable taking public transport. And because I, I also know it works, I just have to ask around uh, where this goes or, or where the uh, the bus that goes to that town leaves. And everybody knows, and everybody tells you, and um, then it's it's really fun to go there to, to travel that way. Um, so in case in case I do get a job in Germany and I have maybe two months free time. Here, I want to do that a bit more. Travel around by bus, uh, just by myself, and take the local buses that don't cost anything because everybody takes them. It's not like uh, uh, an airplane to the beach where the rich city people take that airplane. Although it's not, it's not really, really expensive if you book early enough. But still, it's the uh, rich city people that go to the to the beaches and uh, pay the big money. But the local transports. Everybody takes that. Everybody has to take that. They have to get to work. They have to go to the market, um, and then back home again. And so, and that is that's a lot of fun traveling that way. Definitely. Do you remember the uh, Miller Lite commercial from the '90s that uh, uh, ended in the joke? Twist to open? No, I don't remember you don't? this one. No. Okay. Can put it in the show notes. Okay. I will not explain it to you. Although now I've I've this taken away the f- I've taken away the joke completely. This may be the first time I've ever had a German tell me <laughs> or ask me about an American beer advertisement and make a reference to it. That's a that's a first for me. I think most Germans I know prefer to pretend that American beers don't exist. I think that has changed. Although Miller Lite belongs to the beers that, who cares? Belongs to the beers that light, light beer. I mean, who wants that? Who needs that? Go to Mexico. A lot of people because it's it's rather it's a rather popular brand from what I understand. So, something that just does not exist in Germany is beer bottles that you can open by twisting the cap. It's very common in the U.S., I guess, still, and it's very common here. 
unfortunately, uh, it doesn't depend on the brand. <laughs> it totally, uh, so, so Pacifico, my favorite Mexican beer, they have both. They have regular caps and caps that you have to twist. And there's not much of a logic to which one is No, rich. no, 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 no. They no. just have both. Salute. Salute. Oh, right. I no, so Mexican or Mexican. Okay. Mexican. Yeah. We've talked about Mexico. I have told one of my uh, stories. But we have to talk about the Congress. The we last, don't have to. We could, I, we I could think, just... I, okay, let's say, let's phrase it in another way. I want to talk about the Congress. Okay, let's, let's do it. <clears throat> because you were there, I was not. And that's fine, although I missed it. I, 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 because my friends are there. I know. And, and <laughs> you've we met should, them. We, we should, we should mention, <laughs> for the record, very concretely, I am not okay with Cheetah stealing my identity. You would not believe how many times at the Congress people came up to me and started talking in German at me. Cheetah, this and Cheetah. I'm like, I, I'm not Cheetah. I'm Nick Farr. And they're like, Who's that? <laughs> and then they were very confused and walked away. So that I just want to just want to make that clear. Yeah. I did not try. It was not my intent to steal Cheetah's identity. But he shouldn't steal yours either. Is that okay? It doesn't matter. Like I mean, it's it's you know I mean at least he can speak German and English, so he could probably field any inquiries that <laughs> might get directed at me. I'd be cool. I'd be, I'm I'm cool with that. You know, I don't know if he'd like it, but I just feel bad that there's people that come up to me and I can't help them. I, I there's nothing I, I, I Voss? <laughs> but you've proven that you and Cheetah are not the same person. I, we've made we've made a good faith attempt to prove that we're not the same uh, he person. He sent a I photo to me where both of you are li at least two people that look mm -hmm. like the both of you. I think you need you need to authenticate this photo for the rest of the internet because I think Cheetah's existence and my existence is now one big internet conspiracy where people think that we are the same person. I would love to speak German. I don't speak German. I don't. I, don't, I understand very, very little bits of German here and there. Uh, Cheetah, I understand, is a native speaker. He, he is, yes. Yeah. yeah, so. His English is also quite good. Never spoken English with him. I'll do that one time. But, okay. I have spoken English with him because he is, oh. in fact, a different person. But I feel that, you. That, okay. But I feel yeah. that this is almost becoming Bielefeld conspiracy level ridiculous. <laughs> Look, guys, I hate to break it to you. Bielefeld, it's a town. It exists. They have a lovely university. They have a lovely train station. I've seen it's both. It's great. You I've should go. You should go visit it and experience Bielefeld because it does actually exist. If it wasn't such a nice town, I would try to continue the conspiracy yeah. theory. But but it's actually a nice place. Oh, it's, it's and very nice place. I have I have uh, friends living there, and yeah. I like to visit mm -hmm. that place. So. Okay. How did you? How did you? How do you feel now about the Congress? We talked a little bit about the Congress before it happened, before you went to Germany and you had some concerns about it, how it would be or how if, it would be in the I future? Could do, if I could do the 34C3 all over again, yes, I would have never left my post office. 
I would have tried to leave it to go on a delivery run. But that, the, the post office, which we, we did discuss a little bit very briefly in episode four. Very briefly, yeah. And which I didn't even have fully up and running until day two. Thank you, Eon and Lindworm and everybody who else forgot the <laughs> signal angels and dumped that on me the night of day zero. Um, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. It was, it, it caught on so quickly, much faster than I could have imagined. I, I didn't, I barely talked about it. I barely mentioned it. I, once I had it, I didn't even really set most of it up. I just gave the idea, to, I told the idea to people and everybody else did basically all of the work. I was not even really doing a great job of coordinating. I spent most of my time trying to figure out how to print, uh, how to print the 17th issue of, or issue 17 of Pac or GTFO, which was another ridiculous, basically what the, the way it goes down is I told Travis, I have a printer lined up in Vienna. Just whatever you do, get me the file by the 23rd, by close of business on the 23rd European time. And this printer who I've worked, I've worked with during my artist residency there, he's wonderful. He'll even stay a little bit later on the 23rd to print it out, make sure that it ends up in the hotel that I was staying at in Vienna um, on the 24th, because I did Christmas in Vienna this year. Guess when he sends me the file? Guess too late. The 24th. And guess what's really hard to find between Christmas and New Year's. The printer. No, printers are not hard to find. Uh, printers are not hard to find. But somebody who's... Finding an A3 duplex <laughs> laser printer or copier that I can print multiple thousands of A3 sheets of paper yeah. on, dual-sided, and a saddle stapler. These are shockingly hard things to find. Now, there were, there were three working A3 duplex printers and one non-duplex printer at the Congress. All these lovely signs that were printed out courtesy of the C3 sh sign shop. There's a sign shop now, and it was <laughs> full. It, they had five people yeah. pretty much all throughout the day doing nothing but printing signs and of, and other random things. I mean, they, they printed out a copy of P Pocket GTFO for me um, in full color. The duplex printers that I found were not full color or people were not willing to print in full color <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know, do a hundred runs, do a hundred here, do a hundred there, or no, a hundred pages worth, which wasn't even a hundred copies. They, long story short, it was something that should have been a slam dunk was not. And I ended up having, ended up just getting a printer and printing on regular duplex A4. And this poor laser printer, we, we would have to change the toner cartridge every, Probably every ninety minutes because we just what, ran. Through. What did you print? This was Pocker GTFO, Travis Goodspeed's um, proof of concept or GTFO. Uh, it's it's his reverse engineering, low level hardware, different proof of concept bits of code, and preachings from Pastor Lafrog. It's the successor to Frack. If I'm going way back. I'm not letting you know. Any. It's a yeah, fun journal yeah. that Travis Goodspeed okay, okay. is responsible for 
getting done. And of course, the, it, a lot of other people are involved in it. Every fi- It's freely available online, but the tradition is the print edition always comes out before the digital edition because they always put a bunch of extra stuff in the PDF mm-hmm. of the digital edition that, of course, takes some time to put out together and release. And of course, every year I bring copies of the Pocker GTFO Bible, which is a bound Bible-themed version of the first 15 editions of Travis Goods, or issue zero through issue 15 um, of the journal, bound in a Bible-like format. And everybody loves it. It's a very classic holiday gift. And since it's apparently really hard to get in Europe, that people will order it from booksellers on Amazon, and their order will either get canceled or the book will show up six months later. People generally say, hey, can you yeah. run some books over to Europe for me? And I fill up a suitcase and, and do that. Uh, but no, the post office was a magical, magical little thing that happened. People wrote postcards to other people at the Congress. Yeah. And I had no trouble attracting. We had four incredibly dedicated delivery people that were and I understand this because when I first discovered a similar operation at Burning Man, I wanted to deliver mail. I wanted to be able to go through any door to get into any camp, to go anywhere because I had a mission and I had a person to find. And if it doesn't matter if you're going out looking for Sepunkt, I have this postcard for Sepunkt. You could go into room six of the CCL and people would not immediately turn you away as some violent uh-huh, kind of trust. Uh-huh, they would uh-huh. they would be down to help you and i and and just the quest to find people or assemblies or figure out where things are is it's so much fun and i think people latched onto that i never got a chance i got a chance to maybe deliver two postcards that was it but i had so much fun writing postcards putting them in the outgoing box <laughs> that Conmai designed. Conmai did so much work for the post office. I basically explained to her what we needed to do. She started printing things out. And of course, anytime there's a conversation, there's always going to be people coming to see me about just to say hi, to talk about things, to relive old memories, or asking me for specific advice on a thing. And it was it was so wonderful. I loved it so much. I can't wait to continue it. People in Germany are getting their postcards. They're putting them on Twitter. The international postcards were sent out um, a couple of days ago. People are going to start to get those. And I that's what I, I love looking at the 34C3 hashtag just to find people posting pictures of their postcards online. And that discovery of the post, that having a memento was amazing. Rudy brought a typewriter. People were typing up <laughs> postcards. <laughs> It was there's so there were just so many amazing wonderful things that happened out of this post office that I almost don't want to talk about anything else. I wish I had never. I wish any time they called me into a meeting about something, I would have just said I'm, I'm not here, which is not a very it's, it, yeah. It's I wish we would have been deeper in inside the Faraday cage of the C C base hive. One of the this is another funny story that. The Seabase Hive, which was built out of these Gitterboxen, is it Gitter? Gitter the great, yeah, great, yeah. great, they're great boxes. Yeah. It turns out that once you build a structure out of these grid boxes, 
and then electrically ground them all. Yeah. Turns out it makes a wonderful Faraday cage. Oh. And this prevented a lot of Wi-Fi yes. and decked phones and cell phones and, and a lot of things from happening inside the hive. Which, Which was, was a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. That <laughs> would, would have been my question. Yeah. I think next year, if, if we do a post office, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm getting some gitter box and I'm stacking that stuff high up. <laughs> and I'm going to say, like, I'm going to try to actually seriously do a legitimate Faraday cage on the inside of, uh, on the inside of our post office and maybe have a little, nice little lounge on the second level for people. I've already told you this. I hope it doesn't sound like opportunistic, but okay. next year, this year, I want to run that with you. I no, want to, of course. I of want course. to do no, that nobody, with you. I don't think nobody was in charge. That was the idea of it. <laughs> Come by. You, I will, there will be a thing for you to do. Yeah. I almost guarantee it. And if it's not, we'll just hang out and just yeah. do marathon podcast recording <laughs> sessions from the second story of my sure. little... <laughs> no, but absolutely. And, there's, and that was the thing. A lot of people were excited about it. We had a a branch office of the post office appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> there was a Shell Beach branch office of the post like, I wish I had made it out to actually see it, but we had a branch office. I found out about this when somebody was coming to deliver inbound. And one's like, hey, can we stamp this? We're from the Shell Beach branch office. I'm like, you have a branch office? What? I was like, oh my God. I was... This, there, there was... That I, I was just... I really need to write down all of the amazing things that happened at that point. We had we had a massage table. We had a masseuse that was just giving massages in our in our little little space. Yeah, I I know. I I hope I remember. I think I tweeted out a lot of these things, but it was it was an idea that I basically brought from Burning Man, and every it took off wildly and I'm so happy it took off and it, that was really really amazing and yes I'm looking forward to you being at the 35C3 we'll run a post office it'll be amazing so then we have to get to what I was drawn into all these meetings now for it, <laughs> now it took away the fun part that okay. I, I had scheduled that for later but it fit and we can always we, we can always come back to it I yeah I can always I might just go back to it anyway so there was an issue overshadowing the 34C3 I know how it is to be on the Congress, at the Congress, and just enjoying myself. This year, I saw some talks. It was nice because it was not too late for me here, and we could watch it on our TV, mm -hmm. in the live stream, and you can always switch around. And I saw a little bit on Twitter, but I didn't follow everything. Um, but it was obvious that, at least on Twitter, um, the discussion about harassment in the past and how it was dealt with and a big discussion about a code of conduct that was needed or not, depending on who you listen to, uh, it was a big topic. Now, first question, how big, and we've, we've mentioned this briefly before, you, you, you already said that on the last episode that you had your concerns about how this was uh, going to turn out or how this was going to be. So first, how was, how much of a discussion was this at the Congress? How many 
people did it concerned? Was it like everybody was involved and everybody was discussing it or was it just a parallel discussion than it was on Twitter? What was different at the Congress than what I saw online? I don't think I can answer that question fairly, only because, only because, because of my weird position, I, I got drawn into a, a lot of the little flashpoints that happened at the Congress, much more so than an average attendee. So my my impression of was this an issue or was it not, is not, it, it, it could never possibly be representative. The only thing I can offer is that a lot of women that I talked to noticed noticed a chilling effect that if they were talking about it, about harassment at all, and, and granted, most of the, I, I'm not going to talk to a random. Uh, I, I did not discuss this issue with random female attendees, people that I did not know. That the the women that I talked to about this are women who are predominant or who have a, a certain level of status and privilege in various different contexts. So they're not the average attendee, which is what I think yeah. we're, we're discussing here. And they noticed that where, and, and where that, that they were not having as much fun because they felt for the first time in attending one of these things, they felt really shut down when they tried to flirt with other men or when they tried to flirt with men hmm. and that the men were not reciprocating that and they were being much colder than they'd ever seen before. That's really the only entry point that I have into that, into the average attendee feeling of it. Do I think that it was as discussed at the Congress as it was on Twitter? No. There were definitely flashpoints. There were definitely, in there were def not even incidents. There were actions. There were, there were things that occurred, but even those were all done while provocatively were very peaceful. And I'm sure that there are, there are a lot of things that I didn't hear about. There were many things that I heard about that I have to keep in confidence. Uh, so I'm not, in short, my suspicion is that it was not as much of an issue at the Congress as it would have appeared to be looking at Twitter. I forgot to tell, to, to preface this discussion with a story that I wanted to tell you okay. that will explain how, what, what my position is in this, because I'm white male never and straight and everything and and, and I, German, I, and, German. Yeah. and I if I didn't read stuff online I wouldn't know that there was any problem so last weekend you'll like this this is a Mexican story oh okay last weekend our friend Judy from New York City came visiting us and so we thought about where to go and we went to the National Museum of Anthropology which is a very, very interesting place. It's a large building. It's a very interesting building uh, by itself. It's got all the interesting artifacts from, from the Aztecs and Mayan people and earlier than that. Um, it's a very, very nice museum. It's the only museum. This city 
is the city with the most museums of all cities in the world. That's what I read. That, but the Museum of Anthropology is the only one that I've visited. Uh, well, we went to Frida Kahlo House. Um, I guess you have to go there <laughs> at one point. Or you don't. Uh, oh, you don't. Yeah, but yeah. I, uh, yeah. Right. Anyways, we this time because we had a visitor um, and also because we had never had a tour there, we wanted to take a tour. We, there's always guides standing in front of the building that you can hire. Uh, for a tour through the museum, they tell you. Well, they explain a little bit better and a little bit faster than uh, what you can learn yourself by reading. Now, this guy, Fernando, one thing that I noticed, his English was not that good. He, we had a hard time understanding what he was saying. Now, Catherine and I had actually less of a problem understanding him because we are kind of used to people speaking not people uh, people speaking English when it's not their mother tongue. Um, but Judy, she had a hard time, and, and very often we we had to explain to her what he had just said in English. There were other issues where he. I, mean, I asked him, "Okay, are these skeletons? Are these are these original or replicas?" He said, "Oh, these are original." And then walking out of the room, I uh, looked at the sign and it said, okay, this is a, um, a copy, a, a um, what's it called? A replica. Uh, this is a replica of the original scene that was found in, yeah. in Teotihuacan. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So he was not the best guy that we ever had. And we have had good guides. Mm-hmm. Only afterwards, when Judy and Catherine talked to me about it, well, they said, did you notice that he didn't want to talk to us? And he, he, when we asked the question, he was almost offended. And I, of course, I did not notice. I'm oblivious. I'm an oblivious white German guy. He, he made jokes with me. Yeah? He told me about how Pozzola is an Aztec thing and earlier they were actually cannibals and they, you know, Pozzola original was, you know, with not the pig ears that you can get here actually, uh, but human ears, whatever. Whenever they asked a question, and we ask a lot of questions because we want to know, he, he apparently, because I didn't notice, uh, reacted very, def- no, not defensive, but he didn't like it. He didn't like it that women asked him the question. Now, seeing this from a guide at a museum or at an at a archaeological site, this is the first time that we've witnessed something like this. But it's not surprising. It's not surprising because it is Mexico and um, this is much more common that a man does not respect a woman as much as we do in Germany, or I certainly do, I don't know anything else. Uh, it's much more common here. Nobody, nobody will deny this. But now, the the why this is relevant to the Congress is, I didn't notice. I had no idea. I knew that he wasn't a good guide, but I did not notice that he treated um, Judy and Catherine differently than me. Now, what does that have to do with the Congress? Um, yeah, I I probably wouldn't notice things that other people would notice at the Congress or online. And that's 
how it is and that at least I know I, I'm glad I know that I don't notice this um, but I'm not qualified to talk about what other people experience that's a great story I I don't mean to tarnish it but at some point I'm gonna have to ask you if you if you know what guilt sex is no most straight guys don't and I'm gonna leave it I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that right there for all the for the ladies out there Edu educate us educate the straight men as to what guilt sex is because I only found out about this I found out about this relatively late in life <laughs> and oh man it is not fun it's very not fun so I guess I'm per I guess perhaps some married couples are, it's a thing but I don't, anyway but yeah that's there, there are many different angles to this problem, but I wish more people would take that approach of at least trying to understand that there's things that they're not, they're not going to be able to see. I'd like, to, I'd like to better understand what the actual problem is or what, and what the, the problem in the discussion is. And now, we met on Friday and you told us your what do you see as the four four parts of the problem that make this uh, discussion so difficult and may i would like you to to repeat just briefly reiterate those reasons to to just so at least me and the listeners have the same basis i probably already forgot half of it and then we don't, we, I mean, we're not going to give a solution here, but I'd like to at least um, explain what the problem is or what the discussion is and why it's so difficult. The, the problem, the reason that this is even an issue is that the Congress is this wonderful, magical thing that it is an amazing experience I, I wish everybody could experience you know have their first congress in Berlin <laughs> at the BCC experience that I wish everybody could have experienced what congress is like in Hamburg mm -hmm. this year the people who came to congress for the first time and there were a lot of first time attendees were blown away and were having that where has this been all my life feeling about about the congress um and so it's still there and this huge magical wonderful thing is run by volunteers like i keep saying over and over again and like they keep saying over and over again. No, this is not a professional. It's it looks like a professional. Oh, yeah. It looks incredibly professionally well done. And the line between what are the what, you know what what are the professional things? What are the things that people are bringing to this is very unclear. It's not. It, it all looks like a professional outfit. That to somebody who had zero clue of what was going on with the community, they would have to look very hard to arrive at the conclusion by themselves that this was all done for, that this is all a complete volunteer effort. 
that even the Chaos Patinan area, which was decorated with, as Fiona said, 100% trash, looked amazing. Look, it looked great. <laughs> it looked like a professionally well-done, rigged art piece. And so that's the... We forget that. That ha- were there no magic to it, mm-hmm. this would not be as much of an issue. Now, the magic that you experience, the magic that I experience... The magic that that other people from other backgrounds experience, of course, is going to be different. We as individuals experience things differently, and we as members of certain classes experience things differently. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget that this is a predominantly male environment, that men are running the show. I mean, I I should take a step back because there's a surprising amount of women who are running things at a very high level who you would never know about because most of the organization of the Congress wants to be as invisible as possible. There, no, no, they, you have to be, have been around for a while to know who the people who run this thing are. And the people who are up on stage representing the CCC have very little to do with the running of the conference. Mm -hmm. Very little to do. Um, And most people don't recognize that or don't realize that or don't know that. Uh, For many years, a lot of people thought I ran a lot of things (laughs) when I was merely a useful sock puppet. I mean, I knew I was a sock puppet. The people who whose sock puppet I was. I mean, I was a. I, I should sock puppet is unfair. I was a mildly autonomous sock puppet, in the fact that. Uh, I, I was taking away a lot of that. A lot of things that people would have otherwise tried to hunt down the organizers for, they would hunt me down, and I would deflect or assist as possible. Um, but there is a problem with harassment, and it's not because of anything that the club is doing or not doing. And that even just saying that is a controversial. I'm going to get into a lot of trouble just for saying that. It's because this, it's a function of growing to such a huge extent, along with increased awareness at a global level, and the fact that this magical thing, that what, what the Congress is blown up to be, is almost in some ways an unrealizable expectation. And there's various different, there's many different aspects. There is a problem. I don't think saying that there's a problem is a controversial statement. I think that where the problem has been dealt with and before it it became a problem, when this was a 2000 person event, and, and even still, the, the baseline level of misogyny, the the accusations of people being you know, like, oh, well, if you don't, I mean, if you can't speak in hex, then you're not a hacker. The, all of these sorts of issues and things affected women disproportionately, affected minor, people who are not white, not German disproportionately. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think things have gotten progressively better, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that have gotten worse. And I only know this because of because of 
people who come to me and talk to me about these things, that I've always been somebody who people can approach about these things. And sometimes it's people approaching me saying, I was sexually assaulted by this person. Sometimes it's people approaching me saying, uh, people who I, I know in other contexts who feel really bummed out and I think, wait, no, nobody should be bummed out of Congress. What's going on? And they'll have had a really bad experience, a really bad experience with somebody that was not necessarily an intentionally, there's no intent behind making that bad experience. It just happened. These things can be very stressful. People get out of their environments and, and they run the gamut of different experiences. And because the expectation is that this is a magical place, a bad experience because of misogyny, because of racism, because of whatever, things that are patently, things that the club is patently against and have, has fought against and has managed to keep out for the better part of 30 years, is now something that, that cannot be managed as well informally. because of scale it's not a yeah. it's it's because it's it's simply because of it's because of scale time and distance and the other the other on the flip side of this is now there's this automatic expectation from a lot of people because so many conferences have adopted codes of conduct that this conference will because everybody else did so now there's another external expectation that the central organizing force behind the conference will deal with all cases of harassment and, you know, re-implement another set of law because everybody else is doing it on top of the expectation of, oh, this is a magical thing. And then you have organizers that want to be invisible, that want that their, their success, their metric for success is everything runs well. The event doesn't lose money, maybe makes a little bit of money, like makes a comfortable buffer, but not a huge profit, is a volunteer event, and that nobody knows the organization exists. That that's actually one of their, that's, yeah. that's a, key, uh -huh. Uh -huh. a key success metric for them in my, they would probably, they would probably fight that, but I, and, but I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Um, I don't know who organizes the Congress. And they like it that way. This becomes a problem when you have demands for transparency. When, as part of dealing with all of these issues, well, how do you decide when somebody has committed such a grave offense to the community that they're no longer welcome? Who makes those decisions? Grouping up against a an organization, both the people who organize the conference and the club that they represent in a way, when their ethic is, you know, resists any kinds of those creations of centers of authority. Yeah. That the CCC is in, in and of itself an anti-authoritarian. I mean, it is patently an anti-authoritarian yeah. club. So why would they embrace the opportunity to make another authority and every time you create a code of conduct that creates another authority but at the same time you have all of these people who are not having an excellent magical time who are also given the expectation that there are people that they can go to 
there's a recourse for them when they have these things. Then you throw in German culture on top of all of that <laughs> and add a whole other layer to it. Where, right, where in, in German culture, it's, it, it is much more a part of German culture for people to resolve their disputes or at least arrive at a place of being able to live with each other than I think it is in other cultures. That where, as an American, I find it offensive for a German to suggest... Um, you know, you should resolve your issue with the person who threw you up against a wall. Um, that, that, does that strike you as offensive? No. Okay, exactly. And I think that's a cultural thing. That, that's, that's a cultural thing for, and so I, you have that, which I don't think people are very cognizant of. I don't think non-Germans are no. cognizant of that as a culture. And I don't think Germans are cognizant of that. It's just the way they feel and that's how it's embedded and they can't really understand that, oh, wait, this is a function of the culture that I grew up in. So you have all of these different things. Nobody, everybody who pours their heart and soul into this thing wants it to be a magical thing for everybody and does a lot to try to make sure that it's a magical thing for everybody. There's people that pour so much of themselves into this that they can't experience the magic for themselves anymore. That was one of the most heartbreaking things for me is that the, the people who are at the core of this thing, they're always busy during these things. They never have a moment of peace. Even when they're sleeping, they have their... Even when they're sleeping, they have their cell phone on the highest ringer volume right by their head just in case something happens but up until this congress everybody on those teams even though they would have been at their emotional breaking points a lot of times still and a lot i've, I've seen people go past i've gone past my emotional breaking point on these things spectacularly but this was the first congress that i've been at where the organizers, a lot, not all of them, not, and I, I didn't, I can't claim to say that I saw all of the people in the core team or spent, uh, I didn't spend much time with many of them, any of them, you know, more, much more so in passing, but that there was an angst and an emptiness to them that I've never seen before. And that could be for many other reasons that the fact that now we've grad that now the Congress has graduated to a city level entity, which is a fascinating thing for me to discuss a city, a city level entity that where that it's this, it's the population and area of, of, and the resources that go into a city. I mean, not literally, but it's a, it, it's approaching that kind of a, that the, the, to understand the environment more in terms of it being a city as opposed to it being a conference. And that was really worrying for me, seeing the organizers like that. It was worrying for me seeing people who had gone for many, many years and, and the magic having left for them for whatever reason. Now, that happens naturally. A lot of people burn out of the Congress after seven, eight, ten years. That's a natural thing. But having it happen with this kind of intensity is something that I'm, that also worries me. 
the fact that people are a little bit afraid and suspicious of each other on account of this is something that I'm afraid of. And at the and at the core baseline of it, we still have this problem. We still have this problem mm-hmm. of a baseline misogyny. We still have this problem of bullies and assholes who are not as much as before. That I actually I think has has improved. And I mean, and granted, I'm viewing this from a very odd perspective. I can't even pretend to be impartial about these things. But from my from the data that I've been able to gather, that we have, a lot of things have improved. But in other ways, there is still a long ways to go. And my core belief, and this is where I'm getting controversial, my core belief is that for it to really work, it can't come from the organization. I think the organization has a lot to acknowledge that they that the the old way of doing things of pretending that this isn't an issue is not sustainable at this level. Mm-hmm. But that solving the problem really belongs to the community. Now, when you're 2000 people mostly German and and in a structure that is, you know, you had that you have the Urfas and you have different membership bases and you and you have this organization. It's a lot easier to do than when you're 15,000 people spread across a lot of different disciplines, time zones, nationalities, cultures. But for it to really work, it has to come from the people who do all of the little things. The people who run the post offices, the people who bring their little assembly, the people who talk about these issues. And it has to be something where we all unify because it's not something that it won't work. I th- here's where I get most controversial. And I said this, uh, I said this, ta- I said this to everybody who would listen. And fortunately, because of my weird position, everybody was able to give me a little bit of latitude in saying this, but I don't think that a code of conduct will work at a chaos event that it will have the opposite of the intended effect because of the unique ethics at the core of this community. I fully support codes of conduct in almost any other context, but pretty much in, in any other context that if, if I were to, to randomly, if I were to start a Congress, if I were to start a conference, I would have a code of conduct. I'd put it there. I'd say, look, these are expectations. This is what we have. This is what we'll do. If you're an asshole, I will kick you out because this is my conference. And I'm not afraid of saying this is my conference. You're an asshole. If you're an asshole in any of these ways, I will kick you out. Won't work at a chaos event for a lot of different reasons. But there's still a problem that we need to solve. And the only solution for it comes from within. And I have no idea about how to go about there. And I don't think anybody else does either, to be completely honest with you. I see the, the discussion the discussion going on. And I don't have an answer. I don't even see the whole the whole picture and the, the because I'm not there so, but um, yeah. There Just are talk. a lot of moving parts to this picture. There's so many moving parts. I've seen, I used to say I've seen them all. 
<laughs> but because there's so many, they're so diverse, there's so many different, different motivations in this controversy. There's people using it for, to serve their own ends, which are not solving this problem. Um, that I, I don't think I've seen all of the, all of the angles and all of the, all of the various things that are going on. And that, and that worries me because all of the people who are doing all of most of the people who are doing the most of the talking are not focused on building bridges to arrive at the solution. As I see it, you have a couple of different points and then you, the people who are really focused on building bridges and creating solutions are not getting the institutional support that they need. And it's the most frustrating thing ever. And paradoxically, the people who are most on the inside of these structures, which, which is, there's no official, there's no org chart. I mean, yeah. there probably is an org chart to the club, but in this, this example, there's no org chart that says this person reports to this person. This No, it's all, it's a horizontal thing. Now, granted, there are some people in that layer that have more gravity and pull than others. And the, but those relationships shift and change depending on context, depending on all of these different things. Um, part of why they call it chaos is that these relationships are not obvious and they change a lot. I mean, where do I fit in this org, in this crazy, weird org structure? And, you know, how do I get away with that's that that was one of the weird things I to go back to the earlier point, they totally forgot about the signal angels, the people who sit in the lecture halls on their laptops on IRC looking at and looking at Twitter and other things fielding questions for those people who are watching the streams and wouldn't otherwise have a voice in the room. I go to talk to, you know, I go to dinner. And then I get start getting panicked text messages from, from Eon and Linworm saying, oh, my God, you have to – there's an emergency. You have to – I'm like, I'm not involved in anything. Like, what, did, did, did someone knock over my, my bottle of mezcal at the post office and did it set off a fire in the – no, none of that. They had forgot to set up the signal angels. And when they told me that, I was like, all right, cool. Like, how is that my problem? I'm, I'm not allowed to do anything. I'm not in the organization. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. You have to fix it. You're the only one that can fix it. <laughs> And the funny, the funny thing about it was, and I didn't realize this until I had actually started working on it and gone to all of the various different people to ask for all of these things and to make all of these different things happen. Um, and then by the end of day one, I had put a person who had been a signal angel for a long time, who nobody really knew of, in charge of the department. And I said, look, I have taken care of, I've introduced you to everybody We've gotten the infrastructure as best as we can get it in all of the rooms. And I've introduced you to the people who can get the last little bits for you. You know, we're done. We're set. The shifts are in the angel system. You've been introduced. And basically it was me fix, fixing all of the little infrastructure problems, introducing the new person to all of the people that he needed to know, letting that person know that I had his back and everything. And at the end, in one day, in one day, a process that normally takes two or three Congresses, <laughs> I was able to get done in one day, pass it off to the new person, say, this is yours. Now, your, key, your responsibility is obviously to make sure that the job is getting done, but your real responsibility is moving this forward. Yeah. 
How do you take this to the next level? Um, Which fortunately everybody's done in pretty much every department as this thing has grown. And, And I did get drawn into a lot of meetings, some of which were very pleasant and very productive. Some were also heartbreaking. It, it's very frustrating to really want to tell somebody that you don't, you really don't understand. Like, no, there is a problem. Or no, you really effed this one up. That this was a huge, there was one particular instance, this is a huge F up on your part. And, and other meetings where it was simply trying to bring some peace. I have, I have to give huge, huge, huge respect to the awareness team and everybody in the awareness team, that they had the, they had, I, I think this Congress, they had the hardest job. They had the hardest job of any equivalent team. Because the one, they're a new team. You look at everybody from the CERT, the, the people who are the, the first responders medical um, thing, to to the Seedenstrasse, the people that do the pneumatic tubes. All of those teams, every across the Congress, all of those teams are people who have been working with each other for at least two Congresses. Yeah. That their leadership structure has been straight, that they've been promoted into it. The awareness team, I, th- I mean, while there were people f- who came back from other awareness teams, that they were, uh, and compared to all of those other teams, a new group of people. And they had an impossible job going into this. And they did an exemplary job with the resources they were given, the time they were given, and the training that they mostly had to do on the spot. And and, and their their mandate, their mandate was an impossible mandate. What was it? It, it, it <laughs> I, I mean it, it's their their quote unquote official mandate was to was to handle a lot of the, you know, the emotional wellness issues of, because th- here's the thing, if somebody hits somebody, clearly a security issue, somebody falls on, somebody falls into broken glass or creates broken glass, and then their friend sees blood and then passes out also into the broken glass, which is a thing that happened. But <laughs> that's clearly a cert issue. Yeah. That's, that's clearly a medical response. There's this asshole that won't stop hitting on me. Of those three problems, given that you have training in, in, in any assuming that you have the training to handle those things, which one do you really want to handle? Yeah, this is easy. Well, well, there you go. You know, physical violence, security, obvious. You're done. Medical issue can get dicey, but they everybody's perfectly fine. They survived. What do you do with the third one? Or what do you do with somebody that's, I'm not having a good Congress and I think it's because of all this harassment stuff. That's their mandate. And that's an impossible mandate. And, and, they, and they did wonderfully. The, I think the, I, I wanna briefly touch around the Valhalland occupation. Um, how do I set that? Do you, do you want to set up the background of that? And then I'll tell you what happened to Congress? Because I've been talking a lot. I, I can't. I can't explain it. Uh, really very, very long story cause... short. The, the, on the wiki page for the Valhalla Assembly, they said this is a code of 
free conduct, code of conduct free space. It was a provocative yeah. statement, but it was taken as... I, I read that yeah. on, on Twitter, and mm -hmm. I didn't know what to make of it. I, I had just... I didn't have any context. It, I could not say if that was reasonable or if that was stupid or awful. or I, I had no idea. So... It was very well-intentioned. It was meant to be provocative, yeah. but it was well-intentioned. It was received in, in the worst manner possible. And I think if they had thought it through, I, who hasn't been in a situation where they say something and they mean something, but it's interpreted in absolutely the wrong way? Mm -hmm. Not far off from the original meeting, but interpreted in, in absolutely the – taken in sure. the wrong way. And I think that's what happened. And so the Wow Holland Assembly was occupied during Congress. Wow. Now, of course – This started off as a security issue, but still a political action. Do we shut this down? And eventually the awareness team came in and the, I, I know the specific person involved, but I don't, I don't really have their permission to say who it was, or I don't know how public that is. So I'll just say the awareness team came in and deescalated the situation and set up a mediation. And brought the occupiers and the Valhallen Foundation together and made them both realize that they wanted the same thing. They wanted everybody to have a magical harassment-free Congress. They just had one minor sticking point difference on how to get there. But that minor sticking point difference was a flashpoint that led to a conflict. And so that, that the, just in that one thing, in that one de-escalation and mediation, which I think a lot of good is going to come out of, if that's the only, and the awareness team did many other things aside from that. I, I, I almost wish I could get the statistics <laughs> for 113 to see how many calls they got compared to 110 and 112. I want 110 is security, 112 is the CERT, the medical people, and 113 was the awareness team. Um, and I want to, I, I mean, I can't say for sure because I don't know how many things all of them dealt with or what. It, I'm, I think uh, one of my postmen actually called 110 looking for Honkaza because I sent him a postcard and somebody <laughs> said that was the best way to get a hold of him. <laughs> But I, uh, and, um, They, they, did, they did a remarkable job, and I hope that everybody from the awareness team comes back, next, comes back to the next Congress and is involved in de-escalating and conflict resolution for a lot of these other things because they, they know what they're doing. They have the least training, but they know, I think, the best what they're doing. I have full confidence in their abilities, but I don't think they have the institutional support. And I don't think they have the moral support from attendees of the Congress that there's still a lot of suspicion behind what they do. And I don't know how to, how to fix that either, but, um, well, we've got a year. Yeah, no, that's, but, and, and that's the thing is that these issues go way beyond the Congress. That, that it's in a lot of ways, it's symptomatic. And, and I don't, I don't have any easy solutions except for Andy Isaacson said one thing that be just, just be excellent to each other is in a way a toxic meme. 
I don't want, I mean, obviously when applied to German culture, probably it works in a way, but this is an international event. And I think just saying, oh, just be excellent to each other is insufficient. Yeah, because how do you do that? How do you be excellent to somebody that you've had beef with for so long? I'm pretty sure the German cultural response was, well, you avoid each other. <laughs> but, it, 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 and I, you know, if, if, if I had my way, I, I would say, sure, let's have a, let's agree on what common sense is. When was the last time you had a conversation over what common sense is? There you go. Let's have a conversation about what common sense is regarding these things. And, and let's, say, let's say what things are acceptable and what things are not acceptable. And let's not, let, let's, go ahead. I think we've touched on one part of this already today, but certainly we, we've been talking about Mexican culture um, for a while now. And it's different. And one thing that you only learn when you go to another place and live there is that cultures are different. People are different. What constitutes common sense in Germany is something different than what constitutes common sense in Mexico or in the US. I haven't actually thought about previously um, what that means for a conference like the Congress, which is now, as you said, it's international. And so going at every problem with the German common sense won't work anymore because it's not just Germans involved. Or you say we do it the German way and everybody else has to, I, I'm to not, get used to it. I'm not saying that it wouldn't work. No, no, but you no, have to be clear on but you have to be you have to be clear on what that is. I almost yeah, think that the German yeah. common sense makes a lot of sense. But you but it's not clear but what that the, is because we haven't had that conversation. Even if you agree on this, you have to realize and even I have still have my problems with that. And I've been living abroad now for almost six years. No. You know, well, what, total. Like, like what? What problems with? Hmm? Problems with what? Problems with realizing that my way of thinking is not the only way of thinking. Oh, of course. Every, you, that's yeah? a problem that you now, never get rid of. No. Now, I'm, but I'm more aware of this, I, I will <laughs> just say this, than most people who've never left their country or their village. Now we could get political on why. Um, but only talking with you now, I realize that this part of cultural differences could be a problem at the Congress, actually. Which me, you know, it took me a long time to realize that. So I know that not everybody will realize that who, who's been to the Congress for so many years and, and maybe doesn't realize that things have changed. And, and that, that thank you for thank you for saying that. I, I told people, yes, there's a lot of cultural differences in play here, and they came back with me. It was like this is Americans forcing their problem upon us. There's a grain of truth to that. I'm not going to deny that there's a grain of truth to that. Um, but that doesn't. That's not the whole problem. You can't dismiss the problem as just 
that. That's incredibly short-sighted. I don't know how to end this, um, but maybe people have comments. We'll continue don't, talking don't for, about it. Don't, don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> leave a, leave no. a comment and don't forget to subscribe. That's <laughs> I, I've mentioned, I think I may have mentioned this in another podcast or another episode of this podcast, but that's how babies will say, that's how babies, toddlers that are just learning to talk will say goodbye. They'll say, don't forget to subscribe. Not because they know yeah. what that means, but because that's the common, they, they hear that at the end of every video that they watch that they think that that's a common goodbye ending and if they and if they listen to podcasts that's also how podcasts end today i, th I don't want to most people have already subscribed to the podcast of by the time they're listening they to have, it, right? of it's course not like they a youtube have. video you, where you, you can you watch the uh, steve colbert no uh, okay I, I yeah there's i've told you this there's two sources of of news that we consume that's target show and stephen colbert and we <laughs> watch uh but i watch it on, you on youtube you and Catherine, or are you talking about yeah, german yeah German yeah yeah and no 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 okay, me and okay, Catherine right. being here in mexico and some some german because uh, well, yeah because you got i get a lot of john oliver tonight thrown at me by germans which i think is weird or, i mean he's on last now. last week tonight by john oliver i get that thrown at me <laughs> not This is not even a funny story, but they changed something at, at the end of each and every Steve Colbert video on YouTube now. There's a um, please subscribe right. segment, which, I mean, it's 2018 and supposedly everything is intelligent and awesome and machines learn, but they cannot learn that I have subscribed for two years. It, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, no, I'm not going to start. No. Okay, Google, end podcast. <laughs> Alexa, we're done here. Please stop the recording. What, what are some other common ones? I'd... Siri, I guess. I oh, think. Siri. Yeah. yeah. So Siri, Alexa, and okay, Google. And the Microsoft thing. Yeah, but nobody uses that. Oh, no, 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 no. I, Cortana, Cortana. No, I do. I do know about Cortana. So Cortana, Siri, Alexa, okay, Google. We'll I, I, hope, I hope I'm not triggering something on anybody's phone. Certainly not in my home. Yeah, okay. Not in my home. We'll meet again, and we'll redo the uh, Why Mexico City is Awesome draft and be more happy. And I really want to bring – I really want to give a shout-out to people. We really have to remote in some people from Mastodon. Yeah. Although I think we're going to start getting in more people from Twitter because – For, and, and if you're if you're coming in from the bird site, Mastodon doesn't exist. That that sounded funnier in my head.